This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. We come into our study of the gospel according to Mark to the 14th chapter. We'll begin reading this morning in verse number 12, Mark chapter 14 in verse number 12. And we're looking at the subject of the Passover, the Passover. The Passover signified the beginning of the Jewish year and the beginning of the months in the springtime. That's a great time to start the year, by the way, in the springtime. And the Passover sacrifice and dinner, the meal of the family, signified the deliverance that God gave his people over uh, or from, rather, the bondage of Egypt. And then afterwards, the atoning sacrifice that was offered for the people, the sins of the nation, was made each year. So we come to Mark chapter 14. The Lord Jesus is gathering with his disciples to uh, meet for the Passover feast. It will be the final Passover for the Lord Jesus. It will be the final divinely sanctioned Passover. A new observation will come out of this, and that is one that the church remembers, not just a nation, but the church, and that is the observance of the Lord's Supper. And the final Passover will initiate the first Lord's Supper. And we commemorate that supper today. As we come to Mark 14, we see the details behind this. It's just a few days now or a few hours really before the Lord will be betrayed and uh, be crucified. In Mark 14 and verse 12, the Bible said in the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover... His disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house. The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came to the city and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? And he answered and said unto them, it is one of the 12 that dippeth with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it 
and gave it to them and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the new Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we enter in together to your presence, that you would be our preacher, that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to receive your truth, that you would apply it to our lives and that we would respond in obedience to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nearly 1,500 years ago, before uh, this final Passover recorded here in Mark 14, some 1,500 years before that, the first Passover was established. The old Passover that was established commemorated Israel's temporal deliverance from bondage in Egypt. The new Passover that the Lord Jesus would establish in this moment that we're reading of in Mark 14 would celebrate a greater eternal redemption from the power and penalty of sin. Now, we understand the first Passover uh, was held on the eve of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. We can read of it, and I invite your attention to the book of Exodus in the 12th chapter. In Exodus chapter number 12, as the Lord has been dealing with Egypt, he has humbled the nation of Egypt, demonstrating his mighty power over their false gods. In each and every plague, dismantling all that they had put their confidence in. As Pharaoh has hardened his heart time after time after time and refuses to let the people go, finally this last plague that the Lord will send against Egypt will be the plague that humbles Egypt completely. It will be uh, the night where the Egyptians say to the Israelites, leave us. It's time for you to go. That last plague, of course, involved the death angel who came in uh, into the land and passed through the land. In every place where the blood was applied on the doorpost, the blood of the sacrificial lamb that was slain to represent each family, where that blood was applied, the death angel did not touch that home. Where there was no blood applied, death came into that home. In Exodus chapter number 12, we have the commandment that the Lord gave to Moses, beginning in verse 7, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it, and they shall eat the flesh, and that night roast it with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. And God says, that night I want you to take the blood, put it on the doorpost. I want you to roast the lamb, the bread, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs, and I want you to observe this meal. In verse 29, the Bible says, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, 
from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone. And bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent unto the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we be all dead men. You see, it was upon this night that this Passover supper was commemorated. It was upon this night that the Lord delivered the people of Israel from Egypt. He demonstrated his mighty power over their gods, uh, over their idolatry, over their strength. He demonstrated his power as he dismantled their nation because of their hardness of their heart and their unbelief, their denial of the fact that God had visited them. And by the way, we live in a nation that has denied that God has visited them. As the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter number 1, we are a nation under the wrath of Almighty God. And may God help his people to worship him and to keep our eyes upon him and to rescue as many of the perishing as we can in these days. This Passover supper then was commemorated and celebrated throughout the history of the nation of Israel. And the Lord Jesus now is going, the fulfillment of the sacrificial lamb. He is the fulfillment of the Passover. He is the fulfillment of the law. And he is going, as the Passover is being killed in Mark chapter 14, he is getting ready to go to the cross. But before he goes, he and his disciples are going to observe the Passover meal together. Warren Wiersbe tells us that the original Passover feast consisted of the roasted lamb. That was the lamb that was slain. The unleavened bread, a dish of bitter herbs, and wine or the fruit of the vine that was diluted with water. The lamb reminded the Jews of the blood applied to the doorposts. The blood that spared them from the death that they faced. The bread reminded them of their haste in leaving Egypt. And the bitter herbs spoke of their suffering as Pharaoh's slaves. The commentators tell us that as the feast was celebrated, there was a number of steps that were taken. The feast would begin with a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance, protection, and goodness. The opening prayer was followed by the first of four cups of the diluted red wine. A ceremonial washing of the hands came next, signifying the need for holiness and cleansing from sin. Luke chapter 22, verse number 24 tells us that during that ceremony of cleansing that the Lord Jesus stooped and washed the feet of his disciples. While they're arguing about who is the greatest, truly the greatest among them, Jesus, the Son of God, kneeled down, girded himself with a towel, took a basin of water, and washed the dirty feet of the disciples. Afterwards, the guests would eat the bitter herbs that symbolized the harsh bondage and affliction of Egypt. 
Loaves of flat bread would be broken, distributed, and dipped into a thick paste made from fruit and nuts. The observants would then sing the first two psalms of the Hallel, which is a section of the psalms, Psalms 113 to Psalm 118, known as the Hallelujah Psalms. They would sing two, the first two of those psalms. The head of the house would then explain the meaning of the Passover meal. He would explain to them the things that we read in Exodus chapter number 12 and the significance of each element of the Passover meal. By the way, it'd be a wonderful thing in our nation if the heads of the households in our church and in our nation would explain to their children and to their wives the truths of God's word. It'd be a wonderful thing if we would observe these truths in our homes and in our lives and that our children would not just simply hear from the preacher or the Christian school teacher or the Sunday school teacher, and that's wonderful, and that's who they need to hear from, but most importantly, that they would hear from mom and dad. After explaining the meaning of this Passover, the roasted lamb and unleavened bread would be served. After washing their hands again, or his hands again, rather, the head of the household would distribute pieces of bread to be eaten with the sacrificial lamb. A third cup of wine would be received. And then afterwards, to complete the ceremony, the participants would sing the rest of the Hallel, Psalms 115 to Psalm. Uh, 118, and they would drink for they would drink the final cup of the wine. You see, this is what took place in the observance of the Passover, and this is what took place this night with the Lord Jesus and His disciples. Now, as we as we visit this text, we're going to note three things that I, I trust the Holy Spirit will use to speak to our hearts today, and I hope you'll write them down. The first of which is this: the trust of the Passover the trust of the Passover. Now, I want you to look again with me, if you would, into verse number 12. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, go ye into the city and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Now the disciples on this day of of the Passover, they had a task. That task was to find a suitable location for the Passover meal to be served. Now, let me tell you, at the time of Passover, that would be no easy task because Jerusalem would be overflowing with people visiting from all corners of the world to come and observe the Passover. And apparently what had just dawned on the disciples was the fact that they must find a place to gather together. That would have been an impossible task. And so in their desperation, they called out and asked the Lord, what will you have us to do? Where will you have us to go? And we find here that the thought 
that had just occurred to them had already been considered by and cared for by the Lord Jesus. And by the way, there are times in our lives where we get panicky, don't we? We recognize that there are needs that maybe we didn't foresee, but nevertheless, those needs come. And when those needs come, we don't know exactly what to do, but there is one that we can look to, the loving Lord Jesus, who has already considered our needs and has already made provision for them. Therefore, he teaches us to trust him. Now, the Lord gave them very specific instructions, did he not? The Bible says in verse 13, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, go ye into the city and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water, follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, where's the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. Now, can you see their faces and can you just sort of put yourself in their place and, 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 and think about what was going through their mind when the Lord said, okay, well, let me tell you what you guys do. You just walk into the city and when you get there, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher. Follow that guy. Whatever house he goes into, you go on in. Ask for the, the good man of the house. And say to the good man of the house, the master saith, I need the room. <laughs> now, I know what many of you would be doing, the same thing that I would be doing. I'd be asking lots of questions. Well, how am I going to know which guy has the pitcher? There might be three or four guys with the pitcher. There may be five or six guys with the pitcher. Now, we understand customarily the men would not be carrying the pitcher. But here's a man carrying a pitcher. Am I supposed to ask him, are you the guy to follow? No, I'm just supposed to follow him. I'm supposed to follow him and go into the house where he goes. I'm supposed to talk to the good man and say, the master needs a place to meet. I don't need to worry about explaining who the master is. I just simply need to obey. You see, they did not have detailed instructions, and they did not have the answer. And oftentimes in life, you and I, we want answers. We want detailed instructions, but we don't have to have them. What is God teaching us in those moments? He is teaching us to trust him. Have you ever been there? I don't know what I'm going to do. Boy, I wish I knew. I wish I knew exactly what was going to happen. You see, that, that element of faith, not knowing exactly how things are going to work out, not knowing exactly which direction we're going to be going, those type of things stretch us and they build our faith. They make us very uncomfortable. But God uses them in our lives. And by the way, when they got there, in verse number 16, they found as he had said unto them. Let me tell you, the, the life of faith and trust in God will always lead you to that conclusion. You're going to find it exactly as God said you would. You can trust the Lord. There are times, of course, when we don't understand all that God has directed us to do. And in those times, we must Trust him. We don't have to have all the answers because we have the one who does have all the answers. 
And that is all that is needed. The only responsibility then that we have is to trust him and obey him. Now, not only did the disciples demonstrate their trust in the Lord Jesus in finding the room, but we find that the man who made the room available to the Lord Jesus demonstrated his faith in offering up the room. Here these guys come into the house of a good man, and they say to him, the master has need of a room. What room do you have for us? Now the question might come, well, why does he need my room? And by the way, that's my room. That's not your room. That's not his room. That, that's my room. Are you asking me to give up my room? Oh, yes. That's exactly what he's asking you to do, to give up your room, the upper room, the chief room. I want to ask you, have you given up that room in your life? Have you given the Lord that place in your life? Or are you holding on to everything you can? Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Give yourself to him. Allow him to use you. John Phillips says it this way. He says, the Lord never lacked a friend who was willing and able to help him when required. Did he need a boat? Peter had one available. Did he need a donkey, an upper room, or a tomb? <laughs> Whatever was needed, it was always ready at hand. Who of the Lord's servants could not produce a sizable list of the people who had been there with what was needed when the time came? And by the way, not only have you been one of the servants who benefited from that, but have you been one of the servants who have offered up your room to the Lord? Phillips goes on to say, who was this man? Where was this room? What a service he rendered that day. That room sprang to instant fame. There the Lord washed the disciples' feet. There he told them of his imminent departure. He told them of the Holy Spirit. He taught them of the, van, of the vine and the branch relationship. He prayed for them with tender eloquence. There Judas received the sop and damned his soul. There the Lord sang his last hallelujah chorus. There some of the earliest and most memorable resurrection appearances took place there, it would seem the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. There, the church was born. Imagine if he hadn't given the room, but he gave him the room. Imagine what he could do in your life if you'd give him the room. The second thing we see here, not only the trust of the Passover, but we see the treason of the Passover, the treason. There was a betrayal that was getting ready to take place. It was already in the heart of Judas, and soon he would finalize the transaction and deliver Jesus to the authorities. In verse 17, the Bible said, In the evening when he cometh with the twelve, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Imagine the shockwaves that sent into that room. The Bible says in verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him, one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? Here you see the disciples in recognition of their own weaknesses. And he answered and said unto them, it is one of the 12 that dippeth with me in the dish. 
The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. You see, the traitor was Judas, and judgment was awaiting him. Judas had valued 30 pieces of silver more than Jesus. And so he betrayed the Lord and delivered him to the Jews. You see, Judas was always in it for himself anyway. But it was hard to tell. He dressed the part. He talked the part. He, he, he knew all the lingo. He, he, he knew all the right things to say, all the right things to do. He was the keeper of the bag. He was trusted. But in his heart, he did not believe. And ultimately, he didn't like the way it was going. This whole talk of death and following Christ and going to the cross and my kingdom not being of this world. and I mean, that, that didn't entice him. That didn't appeal to him. Why? Because his roots were in this world. He wanted the silver. He wanted the gold. He wanted the power. He wanted the prestige. And by the way, there are many people who choose to follow Jesus thinking that they're going to receive some temporal thing out of it. And when they find out that God's kingdom is eternal and spiritual, they're not interested. They turn from him. Now think of the, think of the, the privilege that Judas had. He was, in the, he was one of the 12. He saw Jesus walking on the water. He, he saw Jesus deliver the demoniac. He heard the dumb man speak after Jesus healed him. He saw the blind man looking up and gazing in wonder at the heavens and the stars and all the beauty of the earth. He saw that taking place after Jesus restored his sight. He heard the demons call his name and scream at his presence when Jesus cast them out. He quaked with fear inside the boat, thinking he was going down and his life was over, only to hear the blessed, powerful voice of the sweet Son of God say, Peace be still. He heard him teach. He was with him. And still, he turned his back on the Son of God. What greater treachery could ever be practiced than that. That night while he sat there in the Passover room, Jesus took his dirty foot in his hand, the dirty foot of Judas, and he washed it and he looked at him with love. That night while he was seated in the place of honor on the left of Jesus, the Lord Jesus took the bread and dipped it in the sop and gave it to Judas, extending to him yet again an opportunity for forgiveness and for fellowship. And still Judas, in the black darkness of his soul, turned away and rejected God and went and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Warren Wearsby tells us that in the East, to break bread with someone meant that you would enter into a relationship, a pact, of friendship and mutual trust. Therefore, it would be the basis act of treachery 
to break bread and then betray your host. David knew this pain in Psalm 41 in verse number nine. He said, yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. We know that David wrote of his experience with the Hithophel in that context, but also prophetically he is speaking on behalf of the Lord Jesus as the Holy Spirit of God inspired him to write of the pain of the betrayal of the one who had been with him but who had betrayed him. In Psalm 55 and verse number 12, he said, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him, but it was thou, a man my equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked under the house of God in company. Then he says in verse 15, let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. Despite the act of love that the Lord Jesus extended to Judas, he betrayed him. And Judas was held responsible for his actions. Notice again what the Lord says in verse 21. The son of man indeed goeth. That means he definitely is going to the cross. But that does not excuse the action of betrayal of Judas. As it is written of him, he said, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. Good were it for him or good were it for that man if he had never been born. What happened to Judas? He betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. They arrested him in the garden of Gethsemane. They took him and unfairly tried him. They beat him and spat upon him and ridiculed him and mocked him. They beat him with a cat of nine tails, and they made him carry his cross to the hill of Golgotha where he suffered and bled and died. And in the midst of it all, Judas was filled with guilt and remorse for the actions that he did. And that silver, that that 30 pieces of silver that meant so much to him, he couldn't bear to handle it. He gave it back to them, casting it at their feet. They took that money and bought a potter's field, a, a cemetery with that money. Judas, the Bible said, went out and hanged himself, and he went to his own place. I'll tell you where he went. He went into a Christless eternity without God. And I want to tell you, not only will Judas go there, but all who reject the mercy and grace of Jesus, those to whom he came to save, those to whom he offers salvation and grace and forgiveness, and yet people reject him and they betray the one who created them and gave his life to redeem them. And when they do, and when their life is over, and eternity in hell awaits them. I don't want that destiny for you, and neither does he. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And today, the Lord offers salvation to you. If you've not believed, I implore you, come to Jesus. Humble yourself. Repent of your sin. Call upon him for your salvation. We see the trust of the Passover, and we see the treason of the Passover. The last thing I'd like for you to notice is the transformation of the Passover. 
As I said, this is the last divinely sanctioned Passover that will ever take place. From henceforth, it's no longer a Passover. It's the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. It's not simply going to be celebrated by the nation of Israel. It's to be celebrated by all of Abraham's children of faith, the church. The Bible says in verse number 22, and as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. He took the bread and he took the cup. And he established the new covenant. He would affirm it and ratify it in just a few hours when he would give his life on the cross and cry out, it is finished. And when he did, and he gave up the ghost, the Bible said the veil of the temple was rent in two, thus signifying no more need for sacrifice. The final sacrifice had been made. If you read the book of Hebrews chapter number nine, you find that the Lord has appeared once. He's made the final sacrifice. Each year, the nation of Israel would gather and they would offer the sacrifice, but it was no longer needed. Jesus made the sacrifice. He fulfilled the law. And he established a new covenant. And the book of Hebrews tells us it's a better covenant. Now, we see a couple of things here as we think about the transformation of the Passover. Again, no longer uh, signifying the old covenant, but now signifying the new. We see the bread signifies his body. He is the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. It was his blood that was shed for us, his body that was broken for us. And so he says in verse number 22 that Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. This bread was, as I mentioned a moment ago, unleavened bread. Leaven signified in the Old Testament, it signified sin, and when the Lord instituted the Passover, he told them that they were to clean their home, their entire home, and remove every trace of leaven from their home. To do so, it would require you cleaning from top to bottom. It's where we get the concept of spring cleaning. They would bake this bread, make this unleavened bread, and they would eat it, and thus signifying the fact that they were separated from sin. Let me tell you, Jesus, the holy, sinless, perfect, righteous Son of God was separate from sin. He was the sinless lamb. He was the only sacrifice that could ever atone for our sins. You see, all the other sacrifices that preceded his had to be repeated time and time again. They were just symbolic of the true lamb that would come. And now Jesus has come, and he shed his perfect blood for you and I. He is the sinless son of God. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And there was no fault in him. 
It was the body of the sinless lamb. It was the body of the suffering lamb broken for you and I. The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. Before he went to the cross, they plucked the beard from his face. They spat upon him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him and reviled him in every wicked way possible. You've seen the videos of how people are mistreated on the streets in American cities today. And, you, and if you're like me, you can't believe you're seeing this unbelievable cruelty and hatred in the mob gathering around people. The mob gathered around Jesus. They beat him with the cat of nine tails. They smote him with the palms of their hands. They said, prophesy, who is it that hit you? He's the suffering lamb. And here we find that he blessed and break the bread and he gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And in the great discourse in John chapter number six concerning uh, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus said that we must eat his flesh. And this is a spiritual transaction that's taking place here. That we who are sinners receive the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice for us and we identify therefore with him in his suffering and as such who have identified with him we should seek as he is holy to be holy you shouldn't try to be holy for the sake of earning favor with God you should try to be holy because Jesus wants you to be holy and was holy, and you are now identified with him. And I don't want to do anything, and you don't want to do anything that would bring shame to his name. That's why we need to get the leaven out of our lives. You see, this supper was being transformed from the old covenant to the new. His body was the bread. His blood signified in the cup. The Bible says in verse 23, and he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. We understand that this bread and this cup, there is not the literal body of Christ. It signifies the body of Christ and it reminds us of our identification with him and the blood that was shed to make the payment for our sin. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no remission of sin. A holy God, a just God demands the payment for sin and the payment could only be made by one, the sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ who went to the cross and suffered and bled and died for you and I. And so this meal takes new significance because a new covenant has been established. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Lord said, this do in remembrance of me. Warren Wearsby points out that this word remembrance means more than just have a memory of. He says, for you can do something in memory of a dead person, but Jesus is not dead. He's alive. The word remembrance then carries the idea of a present participation in a past event. 
Because Jesus is alive, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, by faith we have communion with him. This is not some magical experience produced by the bread and cup. It is a spiritual experience that comes through our discerning of Christ and the meaning of the supper. It is an expression of our identification with him and our communion with him and the fellowship that we have in him. And I think of the words of the Apostle Paul who said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we say, amen. And then we say, oh, me, as we hear him say, in the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, it is in those sufferings that the sweet presence of Jesus transforms us and we grow in the grace and knowledge of him. You see, this supper has new significance and new meaning, and it is a supper to be observed by his church until he comes. Now, we haven't been able to observe that supper. We went weeks on end without meeting. We can't pass a plate right now or share a songbook. But we're going to observe that supper again. And we're going to continue to observe it until he comes. And then we'll observe it again with him in his kingdom. What a glorious supper it's going to be. Now, are you going to be there? If you died today, do you know for sure heaven's your home? If you don't know that, I want to encourage you today. Don't sit at the table and turn your back on Jesus. Come to him today. Repent of your sin. Put your faith and trust in him. He will save you. He will receive you. Learn to trust him, dear Christian. You say, I wish I had the answers. I knew I wish I wish I knew every detail of what was going to happen next. You don't, and you don't have to. Let me tell you, he does. And that's all you need. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.